More than 40 million people are living with a movement disorder, chronic, often painful, and a debilitating condition that negatively impacts a person's quality of life. Despite the prevalence, movement disorders still go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, with some patients visiting a dozen or more physicians before receiving a correct diagnosis. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Joseph Jankovic, Professor of Neurology and Director of the Parkinson's Disease Center and Movement Disorders Clinic at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Welcome to ReachMD. Well, thank you. It's uh, nice to be with you, and I look forward to talking to you about movement disorders. Great. Well, Dr. Jankovic, why don't we start from the beginning? Uh, what exactly is a movement disorder? Well, a movement disorder is a group of neurological disorders that could be manifested either by slowness of movement or positive movement, uh, such as seen in Parkinson's disease, for example, or abnormal, excessive, involuntary movements, such as tremors, tics, uh, chorea, dystonia, and a variety of other involuntary movements. So it covers a lot of ground. That's correct, and that's why you know, movement disorders are much more common than has been recognized you know, in the past. So how common are they? I think in your opening statement, you mentioned about 40 million people are affected by movement disorders, and I think that's probably an accurate uh, assessment. Not all of these individuals you know, seek medical attention. Many people sort of learn to live with uh, the movement disorders or are told that the slowness of movement could be just uh, due to aging and that uh, uh, tremor could be just a consequence of uh, getting older. But these are common misconceptions. For example, uh, tremor at any age is abnormal. So if you live till you are 120 years old and you shake, that is still abnormal. That is not a consequence of aging. What are the cause of movement disorders? I wish I, I could tell you exactly what each movement disorder is due to, but uh, in most cases we postulate that uh, movement disorders are due to a dysfunction in the part of the brain called basal ganglia, and that includes putamen, caudate, globus pallidum. These are the um, structures deep inside the brain that are involved in control of movement. How are movement disorders distinguished from other neurological disorders? How can you tell the difference? Most movement disorders can be easily seen. I'm sure you've seen uh, people on subways, on, on the streets uh, that have these involuntary jerk-like movements or have shuffling gait uh, seen in Parkinson. So it's the power of observation that uh, allows us to determine what type of movement disorder the patient has. Additional examinations, such as looking for weakness or reflexes, usually is not uh, terribly helpful. So most of our diagnoses are based on clinical observation of a specific phenomenology. So why do you think they're misdiagnosed or undiagnosed so frequently? Many times, for example, involuntary movements uh, are attributed to stress or, as I mentioned before, a consequence of aging. Many physicians fail to recognize that these Movement disorders are due to specific causes. Um, many movement disorders, for example, are genetic uh, disorders. Uh, some are due to structural lesion in the basal ganglia. There are certain drugs that can cause movement disorders, particularly the antipsychotic or antiemetic drugs. Even though on the surface these uh, disorders may seem like they are stress-related or consequence of other factors, there's often a specific cause that can be identified for these movement disorders. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about antipsychotic-induced movement disorders for a minute. So here are we talking about tardive dyskinesia? Well, tardive dyskinesia is the most recognized drug-induced you know, movement disorder. It's manifested usually by uh, stereotypic orofacial uh, movements, but many people fail to recognize that there are many other 
forms of tardive dyskinesia other than the typical uh, chewing or buccolingual dyskinesia. For example, the patients may have tardive dystonia, which is manifested, for example, by extension of the neck or trunk, extension of the arms. Many patients develop such severe contraction of the muscle that they uh, actually develop a muscle breakdown and myoglobinuria. So it could be a very severe disorder. Acrogyric deviations can be a form of acute dystonic reaction, but tarda dystonia can be a persistent and sometimes even progressive uh, disorder. Other drug-induced movement disorders include tardive agathesia, this restlessness that many patients have, tardive tremor, myoclonus. Just about any hyperkinetic movement disorder can be induced by drugs. And what makes it tardive? How do we define that? Well, tardive means that the condition persists even after the offending drug is discontinued. So if an individual takes an antipsychotic drug or antiemetic drug, and in fact, in our experience, Reglan is the most common antiemetic drug and the most common cause of tardive dyskinesia. Even when these drugs are discontinued, the movement disorder persists and it may persist indefinitely, although in some populations, particularly young individuals, the movement disorder may get better. But in elderly women, tardive dyskinesia often persists indefinitely. In terms of antipsychotics, are the newer generation, the so-called atypical antipsychotics, less likely to cause these movement disorders than the old ones like Haldol? Well, obviously, the drug companies would like you to believe that. Right. Um, but, but is it true? <laughs> but it's not always uh, the case. I'll give you an example. Risperidone is often marketed as an atypical noleptic, yet we know that it can cause tardive uh, dyskinesia and tardive dystonia, Parkinsonism, and a variety of other extrapyramidal uh, symptoms. It is really not known whether the atypical noleptics have lower incidence of tardive dyskinesia. We suspect that they probably do, but they still can cause tardive dyskinesia. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Joseph Jankovic. We are discussing movement disorders. Now back to antipsychotic-induced tardive dyskinesia for a moment. One of my concerns as a psychiatrist is that it seems now that almost every specialty is prescribing these antipsychotic drugs, probably because they've been marketed so heavily and they're such huge money makers. but that's my personal opinion. Anyway, so with so many patients on antipsychotics, what should we be looking for? Is there anything to do to prevent the development of movement disorders? Well, one of my main concerns related to the atypicals is that when psychiatrists prescribe the atypical neuroleptics, their vigilance for recognizing these movement disorders may be lowered because they assume that the frequency of these abnormal movements is less with these atypical neuroleptics compared to the traditional typical neuroleptics, but many patients uh, still can develop um, uh, tardive dyskinesia. In fact, every atypical currently on the market has been reported to cause tardive dyskinesia or some other drug-induced movement disorders. So the psychiatrist must be aware of that and specifically try to elicit symptoms that uh, might help them recognize tardive syndrome, such as akathisia, for example. It may be misconstrued or wrongly diagnosed initially as anxiety, because the patients complain of uh, restlessness, but it could be the initial symptom of tardive akathisia, and that can lead to other features of tardive dyskinesia. So how might we elicit these problems on an exam? Well, on examination, we as neurologists and movement disorder experts, you know, we look uh, for any evidence of, of Parkinsonism, for example. So if the patient is currently on a neuroleptic, they may exhibit uh, slowness of movement, 
uh, rigidity, tremors, and other Parkinsonian features. If they are already beginning to exhibit early signs of tardive dyskinesia, they may complain of discomfort in the mouth even before one can actually see evidence of any kind of involuntary movements um, in the mouth or, or the tongue. In fact, sensory component of tardive dyskinesia is very, very important to recognize, and yet many psychiatrists, and I hate to say that, even neurologists don't realize that uh, pain or discomfort could be the initial manifestation of tardive dyskinesia. Oh, so before you might even see anything on exam, just a patient complaint is a red flag. That's exactly right. Now, once you do diagnose them with tardive dyskinesia, what can we do? Well, obviously, the first thing to do is to try to discontinue the offending drug that may or may not be possible, but just by recognizing it, certainly your therapeutic strategy will change, and the physician needs to do whatever possible to stop the medication. We are currently using a medication called tetrabenazine, which we believe is the best drug for the treatment of tardive dyskinesia. This drug depletes dopamine presynaptically and does not cause tardive dyskinesia like other neuroleptics. This drug already has been approved in Europe and Asia and Canada, but unfortunately has not yet been approved in the United States. And we are working very hard with the FDA to try to get it approved, hopefully uh, early next year. Oh, wow. Well, that's exciting. Now, I've also been told that vitamin E might be able to help. Is that true? Well, there are studies that suggest that vitamin E and possibly other vitamins might uh, help, but I'm not entirely convinced by those studies. So I don't routinely prescribe vitamin E. If we have patients that we think might have tardive dyskinesia, is it possible still to get them into clinical trials, maybe using this new medication? Yes, we are currently conducting a trial. There are a couple of other centers in the um, uh, United States that have uh, INDs as permission from the FDA to use the drug. But we hope that uh, it will be available early part of next year oh. so it can be prescribed. In the meantime, the only other drug that depletes dopamine is reserpine. And that drug is not easily available. It has been, as you know, prescribed for hypertension in the past. And there are some pharmacies that still have that. So reserpine can improve uh, tardive dyskinesia, but it can also cause uh, depression and orthostatic hypotension, a variety of other side effects. So it's not an ideal drug, but it's probably the, the second best drug for the treatment of tardive dyskinesia. And it appears so far that the new agent, the tetrabenazine, that does not cause depression? The incidence of these kind of side effects with tetrabenazine seem to be relatively low. In fact, we have a number of patients who were depressed when we started them with tetrabenazine, and because of the improvement in their involuntary movements, their depression actually markedly improved. Now, back to movement disorders in general, is this something that we need to send our patients to a neurologist to diagnose, or, or are there other specialties that are really intimately involved with movement disorders? Well, I, I don't want to sound self-serving, but uh, I think that patients, once they are recognized to have movement disorders, you know, should be treated by neurologists. Now, the neurologist may involve other members of the team, such as you know, physiatrists or occasionally even the ophthalmologists, ENT physicians, um, and you know, these are some you know, physicians that sometimes are helpful in uh, the treatment of these movement disorders. But, but I think uh, neurologists, and particularly movement disorder specialists, should be primarily involved in the treatment of uh, patients with movement disorders. 
makes sense, and I don't think it's self-serving at all. It sounds like you have plenty of business. Right. Now, where can physicians, our physician listeners, learn more about movement disorders? Well, there are a number of websites that provide objective, commercially free uh, information, such as uh, WeMove, WeMove.org. There's a movement disorder virtual university. Uh, I think the website is mdvu.org. Certainly my website has a lot of links to different uh, educational programs. It's jankovic.org. The Movement Disorder Society also provides lots of information. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. We've been discussing movement disorders with Dr. Joseph Jankovic. Again, if you're interested in more information, um, www.wemove.org is one resource. And then um, Jankovic, J-A-N-K-O-V-I-C.org can help you uh, with the links as well. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.